Amen. Well, good morning. How is everyone? You doing okay? Good. Uh, some of you just laughed at me then. Uh, I'm going to take that as a, we're here, Pastor, and that's about as good as it's going to get. Uh, I almost asked, can I get a witness to that? And about 20 people probably say amen at this point. But anyway, I am thankful that you're here, uh, thankful that you're with us, and looking forward uh, to what the Lord has for us. I do want to start by saying to you, uh, Happy New Year. Uh, man, I hope that this year has already started off well uh, for you. If uh, you are here today and you have already failed in whatever resolutions you have set for yourself, thanks be to God, there is grace found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and today is a new day. And so don't give up yet. Uh, with that being said, I do want to let you know that we are beginning a five-week series through the book of Ruth uh, this morning, and I'm hoping that we together collectively are able to see the goodness of God as he gives and provides our daily provision, or better yet, our daily bread, not only for us, but also for his people as we walk through the book of Ruth together. Now this morning, I do want to give you some background, uh, but at the same time, we are going to go ahead and jump into uh, the first five verses of the book of Ruth. But before we get into that, I do want to let you know a little bit about the book of Ruth. You see, uh, scholars have argued and debated over who the author is of the book of Ruth. And so for Days, uh, for today's purposes, we're going to say that the author is anonymous. Now, we do know that the earliest date of the writing of Ruth would have put it probably sometime during the time or the reign of David. Now, scholars believe this because David was actually the last name mentioned in the genealogy at the very end of the book of Ruth. So that would actually date the writing of Ruth uh, sometime between 1010 BC and 970 BC. Now, what we know of the book of Ruth upon reading it is this is actually a historical narrative that's really written as a short story that centers on three characters. Those characters being Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Now scholars agree also on the purpose of short stories in the Bible uh, being that the short stories were there to teach and encourage the people of God about some sort of characteristic or aspect of God in a creative or entertaining way. So one of the ways to look at Ruth this morning for us is to think about it almost in terms of reading a short story to a child where the story in its creativity, the story in its context makes a clear point for us to know more about God and who God is. So as we get into this story this morning, I want us to pay attention to the fact that we are going to constantly see over the next five weeks that God is working, he is guiding, and he is directing all of the events within this story. And then I hope by the time we get to the end of Ruth, we hopefully see that redemption is the heart of of this story. So let's jump into our first week together and see how daily bread first begins on the road to ruin. Happy New Year, right? We are going to start in the worst possible place. But the reality is this, in order to see the promise of God that is found on the path that leads to the Redeemer, we must first begin in ruin. And that's where we begin in Ruth. Now you're probably thinking at this point, man, Pastor, thank you. So glad that you're back. So happy that we're starting this new year together on this wonderful story of ruin. Thank you for that. Well, Stay with me for a moment if that is you this morning. Um, and while you're with me for a minute, I want to I ask you to think upon this question that I'm about to ask you. Have you ever given much thought about the journey that you are currently on? 
I mean, just think about your own life for a moment, if you will. Think about the choices that you made over 2022 or even the choices that may or may not have been made for you. You could probably pause at this point and and think on some of those choices and how some of them turned out great while others did not. And, And I would imagine for the ones that did not turn out as well as you'd hoped, they may still haunt you. Well, this morning in our text, we're going to see how a series of choices made immediately in chapter 1 of Ruth can and will have long-term consequences. And here's the reality for us today. Some of those consequences will be good, but then others will not be so good. So as we continue to read through Ruth, and as we begin to read Ruth this morning, I hope and pray that as we start this journey together, as we walk through this journey together, that we will see how the grace of God is still at work within our lives each and every day, regardless of the choices that are made. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me now in Ruth chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. And if you don't know where Ruth is in the Bible, simply follow uh, the books. Joshua judges Ruth. Um, Now, Joshua did not judge Ruth. However, that's just an easy way to remember it. Uh, So you should be somewhere in the midst of your Old Testament. We are in Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 we read. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, as we can see in these first five verses, and as we're going to see as we continue to walk through this book together, our actions have consequences. I mean, we already know this to be true in our own lives. Yet what often goes unnoticed or unseen, if you will, is that the grace of God is always evident within our lives. So as we continue to read this short story, as we continue to walk through the book of Ruth, I want us to remember this, that God's grace is and always will be the defining theme of our lives. I'm going to say that again so you hear it, and we're going to continue to repeat it together. God's grace is and always will be the defining theme of our lives. So this morning, let's set the table, if you will, for what will become 
our daily bread, which should lead us from the road to ruin all the way back to the road to redemption by the time we get done with this five-week series. But beginning in Ruth 1, verse 1, read it again with me. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, What we open with is a theological description of the times that these events in our story take place. You see, this story actually takes place during the time of Judges, which if you've ever read through Judges, you'll quickly realize really didn't have a lot of good things happening for the people of God. In fact, in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, the very last verse in the book of Judges, it says, And in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, when you read the book of Judges, you'll see what can best be described as a repeated cycle of events that really, upon reading it further, you'll see it's not just a a repeated cycle of events, but rather is a downward spiral for the people of God until ultimately they hit rock bottom. You see, in Judges, we see that God's people rebelled against God. And so God judges. The people then repent of their sin and cry out to the Lord for redemption. And then God would send them a leader or a deliverer, a judge, to rescue the people so that they can experience some season of rest. And then the cycle would repeat itself again and again and again. In fact, if you were to go back and look at Judges chapter 17 all the way through the beginning of Ruth, you'll find a nation, a people of God, that has completely lost their way. They were becoming more and more like the people who originally lived in the promised land, a pagan people, and God was not pleased with what was going on. And so God judged. He brought famine to the land, which in the Old Testament often signified God's judgment upon his people. Now we move from there in the verse 1 and in the 2, and we see in light of God's judgment, Elimelech makes a choice, a choice that he and his family will come to regret. Verse 2, the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now, people often read these first two verses and they glaze over them. But what I want us to do is I want us to pause and take stock of what we are already being taught as we set the table for the rest of this series. You see, as we've already stated, the people have now rebelled against God, or better yet, their unfaithfulness towards God has now brought famine to the land. Now, I don't want us to miss the irony of this moment, because the people of God who were, who were unfaithful to God, who were now experiencing famine, were living in a place called Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread. In other words, the the house of bread was now a place of no food. And so Elimelech has to make a choice. You either stay in the land where there is no food, stay in a land where they are mourning sin and ultimately trusting in God to provide, 
Or you could leave the promised land, the land given to you by God for greener fields. Which is exactly what Elimelech does. He leads his family to the land of Moab where food was plentiful. Now, we would think today that this would be a no-brainer decision. If there is no food, but there is food here, we should clearly go. However, think about Moab for a moment. Think about Bethlehem for a moment. Think about the place where Elimelech was coming from and the place that he was now leading his family to. You see, God at this point in our story had delivered his people from the bondage of Egypt. And he called them to this special place. He had given them this special place, a place that was called Bethlehem. So based upon God's calling, Elimelech had no business leaving. This was the promised land of God. And yet it was Elimelech in this moment of hardship who chose to leave to go to Moab. Now again, we would think, what's the big deal? He just went to the next town. Well, you have to know more about Moab to understand the big deal. You see, Moab was known for horrible things. Genesis chapter 19, we learn that the people of Moab originated from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his older daughter. In Numbers chapter 22 through 24, we learn that it was Moab whose king Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel when they came out of Egypt. And yet God wouldn't allow Balaam to speak that curse. It was Numbers 25 where we learn that it was the women of Moab who became a stumbling block to Israel, seducing them to worship false gods. And then when you get to Judges chapter 3, it's Moab who would oppress the people of God, the people of Israel, during the days of Eglon. So if we know anything about Moab, which... which our family should know, Elimelech should know, it's this, Moab is not the place to go if you're trying to raise a godly family. It's just not. And as if knowing this about Moab wasn't enough, which Elimelech would have known because he would have lived through it and experienced it and his family would have experienced it as well, pay attention to the name Elimelech and what it means. His name literally means, my God is king. Now again, don't miss the irony of the man's name. There was no king in Israel. There was no king in Elimelech's life. Like we've already read in Judges chapter 21, Elimelech was doing what was right in his own eyes. So instead of following the path of repentance and following the path of faith, instead of trusting the Lord for his needs, he moved to follow, humanly speaking, what he believed to be best for his family. He chose the road to Moab. He chose the road to ruin. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to stop again and and take stock of what we are learning about Bethlehem and particularly about Elimelech in this moment. You see, we will often find ourselves like Elimelech where we find ourselves at a crossroads where a decision must be made. We will have to make decisions in our own life. And what often happens is we will often take the easy road that we believe will lead to comfort and security. Rarely in those moments, and I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about us as Christians. Rarely in those moments do we pause to pray about that decision. 
Rarely in those moments do we pause to seek the word of God in those moments about what decisions should we make. Rarely in those moments do we go and seek wise and biblical counsel on the will of God. What we often do is we trust our friends to tell us what we should do. And sadly, many of us trust our friends who don't believe in God to tell us about the will and purpose of God for our lives. That makes zero sense. And so here's what happens. In that moment, we act as the sovereign over our lives. We make choices in our lives without reference to God or without reference to thinking through the serious long-term implications that those decisions can have on us or can have on our families. I mean, as one scholar notes about believers when it comes to making decisions, he says it this way. He says, there are many who bear the label Christian, and yet their Christianity has no real impact on life-defining decisions. Brothers and sisters, let's learn from Elimelech in this moment. The decisions we make will reflect our deepest heart commitments. The decisions we make will reflect who is actually in charge of our lives. And so I want to ask you this morning, do your decisions reflect that Jesus Christ is king? Do your decisions declare that Jesus Christ is king, or do they declare, as the popular poem says, that you are the master of your fate, the captain of your soul? Coming back to the text, I want us to notice the sentence in verse 2 where it says, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. I want to focus specifically on the phrase remained there. You see, Moab had become home for Elimelech and his family, because he was able to find food and support for his family. You see, they consciously made the decision to become residents of a place that was not their home. They were sojourners. They were refugees at this point in a place that did not want them. So what we really see happening here in Elimelech's life and his family's life is this. They were drifting through life without a plan. They were drifting through life without remembering God and remembering the faithfulness of God. They were drifting through life without working through the hard when life got hard. Thus, they forgot the promise of God. And then, for Naomi and her family, life took a turn. Verse 3 and 4. But Elimelech, The husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they lived about 10 years. Now, let's just pause right there for a moment. You may not think this is a big deal, but for a a Jewish person growing up, seeing and witnessing the power of God firsthand, this is a very big deal for you. The leader of the family has died. And so now another decision needed to be made. They could have repented and gone home to their own land, gone home back to their own God, or they could stay where they were in exile. And sadly, Naomi and her family still believed the prospect of living as exiles in Moab was far better than going home to Judah. 
Now again, don't miss the point of the text. For Naomi and her family, they believed that living in the land of compromise was far greater than living in the land of promise. And then pay attention to how the choices now spiral out of control. The next choice they make was to to break the law of Moses, which was given to them back in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And it was broken when the sons took on Moabite women as their wives. Again, notice how the road to ruin begins on the path of disobedience, which at first starts out hard, but as time goes on and disobedience deepens, will become smoother and paved and provide little, if any, resistance. You see, when you think about that in our own lives, when we allow sin to continue in our lives and it begins to snowball out of control, it gets easier and easier and easier until one day it becomes so big and so noticeable that we can't stop it anymore. And then we're left to look back and wonder, how did we get here? You see, here's the truth that we need to understand just from these first four verses. Choosing to step outside the revealed will of God, which comes from knowing the word of God, may come with a lengthy process of wrestling with our conscience. However, remaining on the outside will require less and less effort over time. And then here's the sad truth for us as believers today. And hear me on this. The biggest obstacle to returning home is our pride. We hate the thought of returning home poor. This is the point of the prodigal son. We hate the thought of returning home in tatters. We hate the thought of returning home completely broken, having to admit that we were wrong. In fact, what's true of many of us today as believers is this. Many of us have come to think that it's actually easier to continue in the pain of our own emptiness than to confess our pursuit in the wrong things. Brothers and sisters, this should not be true of us as believers. We should be willing to confess, willing to repent, willing willing to seek forgiveness, willing to, to ask for forgiveness. But in our pride, we continue to choose the land of compromise. In our pride, we continue to choose the land of sin. In our pride, we continue to choose the road to ruin. In our pride, we continue to say, I don't want to deal with the hard to get back to the promise. Now notice what happens next in our story as these poor choices again have led to bad outcomes. Verse 5, and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And as if losing her husband wasn't enough. Naomi, bear in mind, no grandchildren for 10 years. Unheard of for the people of God. Naomi now loses both of her sons. In half of a verse, her world is shattered. 
She is now alone. She is under the judgment of God. What started as security and comfort after many poor decisions for the hope of ease has now led to the ruin of an entire family. You see, for Naomi, with no family, there is now no work. And so she will have to find a way to make ends meet. With no work, there is now no money. And without money, there is now no food. And oh, by the way, this is not the United States of America. There was not a welfare program at this time in Moab. You see, the land of compromise led her to the road to ruin until she hit rock bottom and ultimately landed in bitter emptiness. There was nothing more for Naomi to do than to return home. Now again, you may be hearing all this and saying, wow, this just sounds harsh. But I want to remind you that we we now live in a day and a time, thanks be to God, where we have the knowledge of God being at work in our lives, and that is actually a comforting truth for us. And so as believers in Christ, we take that, we accept that knowledge, we, we hope in that knowledge, but bear in mind, we're talking about the days of judges in the Old Testament where God at work could either mean days of blessing and prosperity, or God at work could mean days of famine and days of judgment. But thanks be to God that we know God is working all things for our good, but ultimately for his glory. Amen? Now again, not to end on a bitter note, what I want us to do is this. I want us to kind of tease a little bit next week. And I want us to take a look at at one more verse to see that not all is lost for Naomi. You see, God in his grace is going to work out this blessing. Look with me, verse 6, quickly. And this is going to tie into next week, so you better come back and hear the rest of the story next week. Verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Notice what we learn from the text. God's people clearly repented. God's people, the people that Elimelech had left, the promised land people, They had now found themselves restored to the favor of God. And so we are left with the question, would this ever be true for Naomi? Well, we have already seen God's judgment played out in the life and sudden death of her husband and her two sons. However, God in his grace, don't miss the grace moment, God did not leave the family without any survivors. A remnant remained, thus giving them hope a hope that we're going to see unpacked in the weeks ahead. As one scholar notes of verse 6, he says this, God's judgment on sin is reliable. Why? Because his word is faithful. But even more consistent is God's desire to restore wandering sinners to himself. Grace is always God's last word. Man, Christians, don't Man, we don't, we don't see God's favor and disfavor as directly expressed in terms of abundant prosperity when we are faithful and exile when we are unfaithful. We're not, we're not seeing that. However, we now live in the grace of God. Thanks be to God for that. We now live in the grace of God that's found through the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thanks be to God for that. However, what we need to realize this morning is the way of unfaithfulness to God continues to be the way of death. 
And it will always lead us to the road to ruin. I mean, if we could just be honest for a moment about ourselves. If left to ourselves, we would all fall away in an instant. None of us are good. Not one. Some of you guys saw me walking around Christmas season with my favorite t-shirt on, my Santa shirt that says, you're all naughty. Dude, that is true of us. We are wretched. We would, we would not just choose good. That's not, that's not how naturally we do things. We, we would choose good at the expense of others. I mean, we would really fall away in an instant if you think about it, but thanks be to God that He is constantly at work in our lives daily. Thanks be to God that His grace transcends our rebellion. Thanks be to God that He stirs our hearts so that we see our sin and thus run to the welcoming arms of the Father as He awaits our return. Remember, we were talking about the prodigal son for a moment. And where did the father meet him? Met him on the road. You see, there's hope, brothers and sisters. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you are in this new year. I don't know what's happened in the new year. Maybe you're already a week in and you're like, when is 2024 coming? Can it get any worse? You may have found yourselves in ruin today. Maybe there's been a, a bad decision that has plagued you already. Maybe, maybe this morning has not gone as well as you, you'd hoped it would. Maybe this first year you made all these wonderful plans about how you're going to be a, a, a better Christian or a better father or a better mother. Or, or maybe you're a kid today and you're like, doggone it, today I'm going to be a better kid. I didn't hear that in my house at all over New Year's, by the way. I shouldn't say that. They're not here to, to defend themselves. You may have come into this place this morning already finding yourselves in ruin, knowing that the days have not gone your way. But can I just give you a word of encouragement that we see from the first five verses in chapter one of the book of Ruth? By the grace of God, for the glory of God, your road to ruin may be the first leg of the long journey home. Stay faithful. Stay the course. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how hard it may be, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's promise that is found through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You see, the book of Ruth is a good reminder that we are like Elimelech and we are like Naomi. The grass may look greener on the other side. The temptation to abandon the provision of God for the prosperity of the world will be strong in our lives at times. The option to compromise our faith may seem smoother and easier than persevering faithfully in the land of promise. So our lack of trust in God will be tested and revealed constantly within our daily lives. And when these moments come, do not give in. And do not give up because there is faithfulness and hope for us. And that hope is found in God's faithfulness to his people. Can I encourage you this morning? God is committed to you. God is committed to us. 
and has called us to be committed to him. You see, God is not out searching for the perfect, pious person and then discards them when all of a sudden they fail. That's not what God did with any of us. Rather, what he did was he reached down to the rebellious sinner, sinners like me, sinners like you, and he transformed us from the inside out. Justification is what we call that. And as we see in the story, there's this beautiful thing called sanctification. Where we were continually working out our faith, continually growing as we draw closer to the day of seeing redemption fully revealed when we are in eternity with him. And so when it comes to growing in our faith, I want you to hear something this morning, believers. God is not in a hurry. Yes, there is urgency to share the gospel. But like the story we just read, Growth and sanctification is a process that can and will take time. In other words, as believers in Christ recognizing your broken vessels, we won't be fixed overnight. There is no magic potion to make your problems disappear. You cannot touch the screen and be healed. It's not how it works. That's not how God works. You see, like the story of the prodigal son, God meets us right where we are. God clothes us in his righteousness. God celebrates our return. God feeds us because he found us starving. And God calls heaven to rejoice upon our return. You see, God's plan is not harsh. God's plan is not to ruin his people. Rather, he seeks to restore his people. And we're going to hear more and more about this as we sojourn together through the book of Ruth. But in the meantime, as we continue to navigate each and every day of our lives, let's remember that we were once on the road to ruin. However, today, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we now have a God who delights in us. We have a God who delights to exalt us and lead us from ruin, which we once found ourselves in, all the way to redemption. And we didn't do it. God did it all. As Naomi and Ruth are about to find out, it is God who is constantly at work because he is the giver of our daily bread. Glory be to God. Let's pray together.